What's the crack with the language on this? Ah, f***ing serious. Somebody started a chainsaw outside. <laughs> For f***ing sake. Oh, it wasn't even. It was a dirt bike. Okay. Oh. Begging you, won't you put your hand out, baby? So, welcome back to episode three of the 10 Years of Tones podcast with me, Sam White. And yes, we have once again some familiar faces, but a lot of new faces tonight. We're, we've really changed it up, as is with uh, as you move through the generations, the group always changes. So, we have uh, our busiest uh, podcast tonight. We have seven or six other people joining me. So, but first, I'd like to welcome back Connor. Welcome back. Hello, glad to be here. Good man. And Neil is back. Hello. Good. It's good to have you again, lads. Uh, so now, normally, what I do when I have the new guests, uh, I'd like you to say your name, your T number, and how, what generations of Trinitones you were a part of. So you can probably start in order of when you joined. So hopefully, that's easy enough to do. Uh, so yeah, um, I I think I'm T number twenty seven or twenty nine ish. I'm not hundred percent sure. I don't have my jumper on me at the moment. Um, <laughs> and I I was in it from uh, Gen four up to Gen six. Uh, so that was like starting in twenty fifteen. Yeah. So yeah, that's yeah, that's Matt Murta speaking. Matt, you are incorrect. Your T number is twenty six. Oh, close. So. The shame. That's that's yeah. That's a great. That's a bad start. Um, are you joking? Um, and next, uh, I'll call on Fionn. Cheers, Sam. Yeah. Um, I was T number thirty-two, though my jumper says thirty-three. Um, for various reasons, which um we won't go into. Um, and I was yeah around for gens five and six. Evan, welcome. Hi folks, um, I am Evan, I'm T43, I think, I have a, a, absolutely no idea. Um, T36, Ev. 36, cool, cool, um, right, I'll try that again. Hi guys, um, I'm Evan, I'm T36, and I was involved from Gen 6 through 8. Good man, and finally. Is that, is that bit right? Yeah, that is correct. That is correct. Well done. Okay. And our last uh, guest is. Can you introduce yourself? Yeah, uh, I'm Andy Keenan. I'm T thirty eight. I'm pretty sure. And I was in Trinitones from Gen six to Gen eight. So tonight we're going to be talking about uh, Gen six, and uh, all of you are involved uh, in that gen. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here. Um, but firstly, just for the new lads coming on. Uh, some of you we've talked about maybe gens that you were involved with but you weren't on that particular episode uh i guess uh matt and fion you guys joined matt you joined in gen 4 fion in gen 5 and maybe just briefly talk to us about uh when you jo- joining trinitones uh 
where you first came across Trinitones. I might start with you, Matt. Um, what was that like, or how did that? How did you kind of find the group and uh, feel like you wanted to join? Yeah, actually, I think I'm pretty sure my first ever experience uh, of like hearing about Trinitones was when I was in like school. And I, somebody just shared the like Teenage Dirtbag video on Facebook. Um, and I remember watching it and just thinking like, oh my God, what a shower. And, um, <laughs> being like, you know, not really, not really getting it at the time. Um, and then, then going to Trinity and just being like in first year and just being like, um, finding Trinity singers and wanting to like, they said you can obviously join all these different choirs and everything. So I said, sure, I'll I'll give Trinitones a try. And then went to audition, like not realizing it was the same group as the one that like appeared on Facebook like all those years ago. Um, but then yeah, ended up auditioning and I didn't I in first year I think there weren't any bass spaces, so I'd actually there, there was uh so it was like second year I auditioned again and then um then was doing then first gen four and then started doing Trinitones. Um, and then yeah, realized that there's uh, there's a lot more Trinitones than uh, than appeared on that fa- uh, original Facebook video. And um, yeah, it was really really it was kind of daunting and fun at the first rehearsal. Kind of just we just we just I think we just like stood around and sang El Triangle a couple of times. <laughs> yeah, geez, we literally sang that about three or four times the first rehearsal. I, f- I find it I find it funny thinking that like the earlier gens also had discovered. Trinitones that way like mm. when myself and Andy were running auditions later that was kind of expected that people would have heard of us mm. but like <laughs> this that like that Matt had heard about us in school is just that's bizarre yeah, to me that is um and what about you Fionn because you joined you were in mm. final year when you joined I was in final year yeah um yeah I obviously had heard of Trinitones before joining the group um I think that the Teenage Dirtbag video came out when I was still in school, but only I was like probably nearly done school. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I joined singers in first year and actually found them extremely. Yeah. I didn't enjoy myself very much. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, I, I guess it wasn't really advertised to me at the time that I could audition or maybe there weren't really auditions. Cause I think it was kind of like the second year of it. that was a bit more ad hoc about mm-hmm. how, formed um but yeah i don't know why i didn't audition earlier really i mean i probably should have um, i like to sing and you know if there was a group of people who like to sing i probably should have joined it earlier hmm. um well you were very involved you were very involved in the phil weren't you for yeah i was years, which yeah. was i mean you know that was a choice hmm. <laughs> uh, i spent a lot of time doing other things in college yeah, yeah. um yeah so joined in final year, um, and then one year of grace afterwards, and then you threw me out in the arse. <laughs> John, which which was better, the Phil or Trinitones? Well, let me just say I didn't get multiple international trips for free with um, the Phil, did I? Hey. I did get to eat dinner with some interesting people in the Phil, though. What about Trinitones, no? You didn't get to I eat dinner with I mean, yeah, a different, right. different kind of interesting. You've, you've been to dinner with us a couple of times, I'd say. Yeah, yeah just one. a few, just a few. One, that one. <laughs> That's and, true. And Dan That's McManus true. In, almost, in almost every continent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Continental Dan McManus. Um, and and then, yeah, we can come to Andy and Ev now, because uh, this is the gen you joined. And um, 
yeah what about you andy uh when did you first hear about trinitons yeah i think we joined uh obviously the same time probably ev and i had two different experiences in in applying for the group um so like like matt i had auditioned in first year um and didn't get in and came back for a sort of second bite at the apple uh year two and it was only really because um or i think probably a, a major factor was that seven people had left the group the year before mm. so there were all of a sudden a lot of spaces um i was listening to the show last week and i think rob or or ben mentioned sending people off to to singers for a year uh and that's essentially what happened with me i think um mm. so i had been involved in the society in the larger singers choir and i i came back then to to audition for trinitones ev i think had a different path in yeah bring an ev there i certainly did um yeah, i think first year um yeah i think i i was in singers for like a week and then decided that wasn't for me and returned to harcourt street um but <laughs> the no, the first thing I heard of Trinitons actually was when a, a fresh-faced, sun-stricken Neil Dunn came up to me at the PAV. Um, fresh-faced or pink-faced? Both. Um, <laughs> yeah, just after just after exams in yeah. first first year, second year. Yeah, second year. yeah, yeah. Because I I, I took a year off books, so at the end of that year. Um, yeah. And then Neil was like, oh, you should audition for this, this thing we have going on. And I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. So I turned up, it was before summer. So I turned up um, and it was, who was there? It was, were you there, Connor? Oh yeah, we, we yeah. auditioned you already because you were, oh. you were heading off on J1. And yeah. You were one of these people that we knew he was a choral singer and been in choirs and back rock and stuff. Um, and there's a sentence exactly yeah (laughs) um but we we actually because we knew so many people were leaving and like we had to fill like seven gaps Mm. so we were like and Matt and sam would know this as well and connor um we ended up posting so many auditions at different times throughout that phase yeah and just to try and fill gaps so yeah we actually auditioned there for the first time um, before summer. Okay, um, but I might just remind people that so Neil, you are now director. Probably should have started with that with you becoming director, and we talked about it a bit. Uh, we would have mentioned briefly that you were destined to take over after uh, after Daz and Rob. I forgot to mention that Daz is the longest ever. He he's the only person to direct Trinitones for three years, and and. Uh, and Neil, I guess you were the first person to direct by yourself. And I wonder, I wonder how, how did you feel about going into that? I know you like really wanted to do it, but uh, was there any uh, any skepticism or were you nervous about it or excited? Or just very excited? Yeah, it was, it, was, it was definitely very scary. And it was definitely a big learning curve because I was uh, somehow more mature then than, than I am now. Um, but also it was just, there was, there was a huge uh, exodus of, of people that year. And a lot of people who'd been there since the beginning and it very much felt like 
a press refresh on the group because even the people who were staying, a lot of them were quite new. Mm. So there was, I think there was a, um, I was definitely excited by it, but it was, it, it, there was definitely fear because I had to grow, felt like I had to grow up quickly, but then also felt like the other people, uh, obviously there, there were other people like Connor and stuff in the group, but there was, there was a, a huge portion that were staying, or there was a large portion that were staying on that weren't, hadn't been in the group long, and then we were adding in this other. So it was definitely a bit fearful. I don't know, Connor, do you, do you feel the same? Yeah, like even for, uh, for me, it was my year of grace. So um, that's, I'd left college, but I got one extra year. So those, I, I'm sure there were a couple more in that same boat with me. I think mm, maybe, I was. yeah, Fionn. So like we obviously had work as well. And that was probably the first year where this idea of the year of grace was um, taken on uh, by so many people in the group. So you had, uh, you know, a bunch of people in the group who were, working nine to five as well as trying to um keep up with the group and you just can't give the same mm. level of you're not that pr- as present on on campus all the time mm. um no so, it's yeah, true but definitely... i also think right given that there was so many people leaving i think it was really necessary to have a few people who were sticking around yeah totally yeah, absolutely yeah 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 it was good it was good having that balance mm. and just so people know when uh, a thing we do have in trinitons is you stay for the entirety of your studies and then when you're when you graduate you have the option of staying on a year and most people tend to stay on hopefully because they enjoy it so much like uh there hasn't been many people who have declined that opportunity um for whatever reasons uh the few to have uh weren't able to do it but um but yeah we're calling this gen 6 the new era i'm calling it <laughs> because as you said a lot of people left a lot of people would have left in past generations, but this did feel like new a, hope, a massive change. Say. Yeah, new hope. New hope. Um, the last Jedi. Um, and uh, let me run through who else joined that year. So we start with Ev. Ev is T thirty six, and then we have Jamil Saidi, uh, T thirty seven, vocal percussionist. I will come to Jamil because that's a very important addition. Andy Keenan, T thirty eight, T thirty nine, Matthew Douglas. T40, Carl Hegarty, T41, Barra McMahon, T42, Zach Miller-Frankel, and T43, Patrick Kennedy. So Patrick, mm. did Patrick join after Christmas? He did, yeah. That's- he, he joined in, in April, I think, yeah. We, we oh, had a few, yeah. We'll, we'll probably get to it. We, were, we had a lot of people away in the summer. Uh, yeah. and mm. we had Pat, I knew from Singers, and I think he had auditioned for you, Neil, is that right? And you were impressed yeah. and kind of wanted him to come back. Mm. I think actually it was it was Matt that was so impressed by Patrick. I like I've I have distinct memories of Matt's reaction to Patrick's audition. Yeah, I remember he had he put on just a very the just the musicality he displayed in the audition was strong. Um, yeah. And I just think maybe that with the first audition he he didn't have a good idea of what Trent Jones was, but then when he came back and he did just after yeah. a year of college, it was it was really strong. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think it was given that he stayed in so long after and I think ended up being directing for a bit. Correct me if I'm mm-hmm, wrong. Yeah. Um, seemed like it was a good choice in the end. I think um, one of my favorite auditions actually though from from that year was Barra's, uh, the oh, first yeah. one he did. Oh. And this, this happens with a lot of first years coming in and it's, it's totally understandable as well. Is that, like they've, They're obviously in Dublin perhaps <laughs> being let off the leash for the first time and they've just gone a bit mad <laughs> and they're maybe not feeling the best the next day. And... Um, 
Barra came in, and I remember about. Are you implying that? Uh, well, he was on the um, sauce. He was on. Yeah. I, I don't want to. Yeah, pretty much. He had. Yeah. He, he had <laughs> considerable hall sauce. A considerable he was in volume. Week, Matt, stop beating around the bush. A considerable volume of sauce had been consumed, um, <laughs> and he was in. And about half the audition was incredible. It was like, oh my god, this guy. The timbre of his voice is just like so good. And then something just snapped, and he sounded like a, like what I can only describe as a deconstructed frog, and it was kind of like this brokey, groany mess. And um, uh, yeah, can I? Was it not? I think it was the other round. I think his first audition, he had no voice at all. Yeah, that was it. And he whistled. He whistled his song. Yeah. He whistled the sight singing. He couldn't do oh, the sight yeah. singing. Was, he yeah. could do his song, and then he broke down, and he did yeah. the sight reading. But, yeah. but the, yeah, the second audition was amazing. And then, yeah, and then he came back. Because it was funny, because Robin Daz came in to help with the, the final round of auditions. Yeah, and when they came in, they were like, what's this guy like? And um, we were in your apartment, man. And I just remember being like, oh, like I think he's really, really good. But he couldn't sing at his first audition. <laughs> and Rob, Robin Daz were not impressed. <laughs> Well, until until he started singing, mm. yeah, that was one of the really nice things about like even though there was like a lot of new people coming in, it gave us a really unique opportunity to check how like how a lot of people blended with each other, like and kind totally. of play and choose, you know, and yeah. that was it was really nice. Mm. Yeah, um, yeah, I remember Matthew and Barra both auditioned with Summertime. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, there was a, there was a big. That's always such a big audition piece. It is, yeah. Um. I want to bring up Jamil because that was arguably no, no, not saying the other lads weren't important, but finding Jamil mm. was really important uh, because totally. we had we mentioned in Gen Five that we lost Yoan pretty quickly. Uh, I think he was only there for not even a term, but only a month or mm. if even, and then we got Raj in for the second term of Gen Five. Unfortunately, it didn't really work out. He wasn't able to. He wasn't able to stay on, so we were left with no beatboxer again. So, mm. Neil, talk about how, I guess, how delighted you were to find Jamil. It was funny. We actually, um, again, so we, we hosted lots of auditions, some before. We even auditioned, like, there was uh, some students that were traveling to Trinity to, to check it out. Mm. I don't know if anyone remembers that. But we, we were hosting auditions the whole time because, again, quite fearful of it, um, of just not getting the numbers and being really, really decimated. Uh, but yeah, the big thing was, was beatboxer, uh, because, uh, we didn't really have a solution. Mm. Um, and Raj wasn't able to stay on, but what ended up happening actually is we got Jamil and, uh, uh, another guy in, in, the, in the last few days of auditions in, um, in what you call it, in Freshers Week. Yeah. And we actually had a quite a tough decision because the other beatboxer was fantastic as well. But it was, again, it was just Jamil's musicality and um, solidness that really stuck him through. Um, and and yeah, it, it really did. It was it, it still made the, the new group tough because it was basically half a new group. Mm. But uh, having that was such a... Um, oh, sorry, you're right. There was three, or there was three beatboxers. Was there? Uh, Fionn, yeah, there was three. Um, there was three in total. Uh, there was Alex and Mike. Yeah, um, all of them were. It, it became quite a tough decision 
And wow. yeah, again, just Jamil was just, he was just a very, very solid. He, he, I think um, even when he came in, he sort of like said he had a background in percussion and played drums and stuff like that. And just means you're going to be a solid beat keeper. And that's, that's ultimately what you need. It's a real good point you make about his musicianship, Neil, because I, I think I remember that round of beatboxing auditions and just beatboxing auditions through the years in general. Um, usually where people learn to beatbox is solo in front of their like computers on YouTube predominantly. Yeah. And um, yeah, yeah. It's, it's this solo art whereby you can do whatever you want, yeah. specifically with the tempo. <laughs> Yeah, and, speed up, uh, that, yeah, exactly. That's what we really struggled with um, in, in finding a beatboxer who had all those beatboxing skills, but was also able to act for us as percussion, not yeah. as like a solo act. Exactly. To, to quote Ben, like it was a fantastic summer signing. Like we had just so many, so many, like looking at the list now, like so many strong Trinidadians characters came through that year. Mm. Um, but yeah, absolutely. Jamil, sure he's still in the group. Yeah, Can't get rid of him he's, now. he's still hanging. Is about. he really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. They've, like that's how important he is because he's so hard to replace now. Um, yeah, they've been doing auditions, and they've got some new guys in, but they, they, they haven't. It's it's amazing that there was actually three people auditioning for beatbox that time. I did not know that. Wow. I thought it was just Jamil. yeah. I, I forgot about the third. So let's get into the year itself and we've been talking a lot about every year Trinitone's trying to level up Daz and Ben spoke about it a lot uh, during their directorship and uh, I guess Rob as well and always trying to see uh, what can we do next what new challenges and goals can we set ourselves can can I just ask uh, at this point just around like why do you think there was that need because I know that say when we'd been to Budapest um the group had a bit of a rep, right? Uh, like, a, dare I use the word, uh, the phrase bad boy reputation. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, but in terms of like leveling up, um, do you think it's like a, it was a professionalism thing or was it just like a, a grabbing attention thing? Like, what do you, what do you mean by leveling up? Um, I guess, I yeah, maybe. Per year. Yeah, sorry, go on. I was just going to say it's like, yeah, maybe it's not trying to just get better, but also trying to, challenge ourselves more what what how ambitious yeah. can we get like like mm. ben put up really well um when he was chatting about taking over and just sort of having that bashful enthusiasm like i i definitely had that in my first year being like oh my god like why is this group not doing more we're actually very very talented and everyone really likes us why are we performing electro picnic and then from there and there it was just like why don't we do more like the, to be to be completely honest with the the whole trips thing it's like how amazing is it that we get to go to festivals and on um, international tours in college mm. and fund it through the group mm. like that to me was just like hey it, it was like I, I think i remember saying it to maybe Andy and Evan, and I, I'd probably say to most future directors now, just like, use this as a golden ticket to like, get the guys to travel, allow the guys to travel the world through music. And mm. um, I think that's, that's, that's where I certainly got the inspiration from. But in general, I think, um, 
when I think every director is super has been super passionate about the group. All the guys in the group have been super passionate, and I think we always look back on the year before. I think Connor has probably the best context here, but like when you look back at the old Susie gig, like what could we have done better, and how could we have been more professional, or how do we look better? How do we present ourselves better? How do we record ourselves better? And I think it's it's actually more from a passion standpoint that we all cared a lot about it and wanted. And then obviously then the director is trying to push that narrative. Mm. I think it comes from a passion standpoint. Mm. It keeps focus and drive in the group as well. Uh, each mm. group feels like they accomplish something. When when any kind of choir or team or whatever it is kind of stagnates, um, I, I mean, I don't think stagnation is, is the worst thing in the world, but when you do have a constant progression, and at this point, Gen 6, there was five years of essentially very well defined constant progression of new things every year it just became what was expected of the group mm. and and it ca- and when you commit so much to something that like knowing that you're getting going to get something more out of it this year and more out of it the next year again it really helps with them um, making the group feel like that commitment is worthwhile mm. i definitely actually felt the pressure from the beginning to just make sure that the camaraderie was there um because again i think i'd left or Gen 5 and Gen 4, from my experience, have been a really, really tight group. Mm. And I was fearful mm. that that because so many had left, that that would be lost. But obviously it wasn't the case. Like we kind of went out of our way to ensure mm. that, that there was like, that we glued it back together. Because obviously huge okay. upheaval, like yeah. half, like 50% were brand new. Um, yeah. And it was, it was funny because like for me, I had no idea about what had gone before. So like mm. say Connor is saying there, like the consistent um, progression throughout the years. Um, but it was like, it was almost like a new environment where it's like say Neil is directing by himself. And were you, were you full-time? Not full-time, but as in... You were off books, Neil, weren't you? Off books. books yeah. 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 And you were kind of very, you were ideas pouring out of you and I, was, I, was, I was studying full-time degree in Trinidad that year yeah yeah so it was just like the environment kind of fell right that it was going to be like a, mm. a particular level up as you call it um but like going back going back to the the glue bit the kind of what like say that first term there was a lot of mm. dragon lads down to grogan's and we went down to, yeah. to mine and waterford and yeah. It was really trying to like piece it back together, but like still pretty organically, but yeah, a, a, like kind of forcing an environment where that could happen. But that was the other thing. There was a lot of first years as well, which again is, was fantastic. But uh, again, like those things when when we spend, I think that was the thing. Yeah, like we spent so much time doing things like corporate gigs, and we knew that that was going to be part of the year as well. There's, and Connor speaks about this too. It's like there's a lot of like really really tough days in the group that like you need to have have that level of like camaraderie to be able to push through that, um, and to be able to pick up each other when you're like you really don't want to keep singing for another two hours. Mm. Um, so I think I think it was it was really important, and I, I think it did pay off. But you're right, yeah, there was a lot of dragging to the book. That's a good point, though. There's. A- there, sorry, I'll, I'll let you in, Fionn, in a second, but there was, um, yeah. as you, you said there, there was a lot of first years. So 
if you look mm. and that kind of sets the group up for the next three or four years because i was in second year andy and ev mm. were in second year jameel was in second year doug was in first year carl first year barra first year and patrick comes in later but he was in first year as well so yeah yeah it's a great point like such so much youth young blood yes uh sorry Fionn, you can come in now yeah, no worries. Um, we'll obviously get to this like a little bit later on properly, but like uh, one thing I think in terms of like that glue thing that Evan was talking about there is the fact that when we decided that we were going to do a big trip, um, funding it like was, I think, mm. a bit of a, a glue sort of situation. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we needed to find a way to, um, to actually pay for this thing. And um, it just it kind of became something of a common purpose and um yeah. you know we were at busking all the time and you know uh those sorts of things uh so it was kind of beyond just like a, a like a a forced uh dare i say forced like a socialization thing it was also um kind of a common purpose or something yeah That's good point. so we can maybe yeah get into uh the nitty-gritty now and i was listening to i had a guest on my own podcast i was saying i had neil on before i also had ranald mackie on before and uh in that conversation i talked about where this kind of story starts of us trying to go on a trip also it begins with a facebook message from ranald mackie of of university of melbourne messaging the trinitones facebook page way back way way back before anyone even thought we were going really yeah yeah what i wonder was it during the summer or yeah i was in the states i okay. still remember getting that message yeah so ronald messages uh saying that his group the trinity college tiger tones are embarking on a, a european or uk and ireland tour and they were and they had and they had come across us because we were like the only group of that kind still kind of the only group of that kind in ireland and they wanted to hang out with us and and uh ultimately do a gig wouldn't have thought too much about it at the time neil but uh that was like the first i guess that was our first uh gig of our first big gig of the year which was very different to any kind of term gig we would have done before yeah like i i still remember getting the message and it was just so exciting to me again i definitely didn't think about going on tour then but it was just they seemed really nice, and the message was very chill. He was just like, "Look, we're just looking to come across classic Randall. Have a we're few looking beers, to come sing. across, mate. Yeah, <laughs> sing a few songs, have a few beers, and uh, you guys seem like you're good fun. Mm. And I think that that's uh, how I always thought of our group that we were just a bunch of mates that enjoyed singing together and having a few drinks, and that was about it. Mm. Um, and it definitely gave, it was the only fear I had was that it was so soon. Like I knew that we had to learn and it was also bear in mind, it was the fifth anniversary of the group. And I was feeling like we needed to do something for that. Yes. So big um, gigs, big gigs ahead and yeah, yeah, different to, and I guess we were leveling up in terms of what kind of gigs we can put on a collaborative yeah. in a collaborative sense as well. So I guess planning would have begun for the Aussies coming over and, I don't think any of us really knew what to expect from from this visit, um, mm. but little did we know it was going to, for a lot of us, it was going to change our lives forever. All changed, change utterly. I can't remember exactly what date the gig was, but it was 
as you said, Neil, it wasn't like a Christmas gig. It was like the end of October. No, yeah. I, I think it's no, November, November 25th or something. Okay. Was it that late? It was a, yeah, it was a, it was a good way back into the year. So mm. it sort of, we coined it as the, um, as our term gig and, uh, we ended, yeah, you're right, 25th of November. Yeah, so um, we we can go straight there because when I was chatting to Ronald, I was talking about when the lads arrived. So they had just been to St. Andrews. And we might have like watched a few, we would have seen a few clips of the lads in advance of them coming of what kind of energy they were going to bring. And it was it was really exciting. Um, And they landed in Dublin. And I remember I was selling tickets in the arts block. And... I got yeah. word that they were en route to the arts block with <laughs> you, Neil. And, Jeez, and then, I forgot this. And I you'd, forgot spot this them, well. you'd spot them you'd spot them from a mile away. They all they all barge into the arts block. Like everyone's going about yeah. the day, going to their election. Oh, yeah. these, these like sixteen, seventeen uh Victorians Victorians uh barge in and they want to help sell some tickets. So uh they like do a calling and then they they break then they they flash mob they do a flash mob performance of the lion sleeps tonight a wimble and they sold out the concert and they sold out the concert in those 20 seconds that they were allowed to <laughs> sing because in trinity you are not allowed to sing on campus unless you get special permission so a security guard came over and and ki- kindly told them to stop but people like everyone stopped once when they started singing everyone's like what is going on here and uh and he just had such an energy it set the tone for what were going to be a very eventful few days ahead which we won't go into too much detail about the various shenanigans and stuff like that but uh um the uh the gig itself let's talk a bit about that and what we took away from that night which was in the bellow bar uh quite a small but brilliant venue in in portobello sold out gig was sold out and uh we were we the way we split it up yeah it was called clash of the tones and it was it was to do with the fact that similar similar names the choirs have but also ireland were actually playing australia and rugby that weekend so it actually mm. uh it was like it was uh yeah. quite a and you you and neil sounded some sort of george hook bit did you to oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah you did neil did I? That's like yeah. the only. That's the only thing I remember from that game. Yeah. So I peaked. Oh no, maybe maybe Neil, I peaked a little later on. Maybe. Me and Neil. Uh, so like that that year, I know like Neil Neil was like this. He Neil was director, but I guess we kind of had a bit of a maybe kind of a leadership group. Like me and Matt were on the committee, and and then obviously also mm-hmm. we had the more senior members like uh, Connor and. But for the gig because there was this sporting element to it with the match being on the next day, me and Neil thought it would be funny to do like some sort of a sports commentary apres match skit <laughs> at the beginning to introduce the crowd. There was like a, there's some sort of like sound booth at the back of the, the, back was, of the Bella yeah. bar. And we really should well, have. No, there just... wasn't a sound booth. There was just a, di- we just brought a microphone in. There. Yeah. We really should have just done this on stage because people would have actually seen what we were doing and not been like, <laughs> So I, I, yeah, there was like an apres match skit and I was, yeah, like I was playing the part of George Hook. Uh, I think I had a mask. I made a George Hook mask for it. 
And Neil, you were a renowned Australian rugby player, Nick Cummins. Okay. Yeah, the Honey Badger. Is that his name? I, I don't remember that. Do you not? The guy yeah, who followed the like, mad quotes. Yeah, 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 yeah. I just don't yeah. remember. I'm glad you I don't, don't remember. remember. Oh, my God. Okay. I remember your George, George, uh, George Hook bit, but I don't remember. Yeah. Him, which I'm, I'm happy to leave that in. Yeah, it went down like a lead balloon anyway. And then we got, <laughs> and then we got I into think, the. I think yeah. that this falls into like a, a long history, which may have been started by Ben's Gen 3 oh, raffle 100%. that we <laughs> mentioned in the previous podcast of us doing skits at concerts and we're really into this notion but i can't think of a single one that was actually successful i mean bop it i think was sorry, an amazing sorry, example no, but no. was good can you think of one that was successful mm-hmm. now five gen five that sam uh, the, the late late tone show was hilarious but them coming in on their the the, yeah, the coming in. yeah fair enough okay the base the simplest ones but even at the late late tone show bop it had we practiced that for more than 30 minutes uh, like were we ever that song well yeah but i think we just thought thought of ourselves as like skid actors as well as um <laughs> as we did as well as uh no but to be fair i think you do need some skits in the oh, show definitely. to break things up and to like yeah I, I don't i don't i'm not i'm not here for this revisionism i'm not here for this uh doing down of the skit i'm Maybe. very proud of our vegemite skit as well oh yeah that was but we did i guess we can all individually reflect on not just the gig but the few days we had with the lads because they had such it had i i think it had such a massive impact on us in terms of the energy that they brought to their performance had a big had was massively inspiring for us and we 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 took a lot away from and how much they enjoyed like they were traveling around the world like their mates and stuff and 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 what came from that is what we're is what we're mainly here to talk about which was our first international tour so if anyone has any any thoughts or uh outstanding memories from those few days well i just i i agree with that 100 percent, sam i think like a lot of the success we had later on with viral videos and that uh came from the tiger tones kind of showing us how to make acapella look fun while you're singing it maybe i I remember we did a gig in the senior common room right with them and it was just like night and day like how and also half the group was new as well and that was part of it we were all kind of a bit inexperienced but it's just night and day how they could the energy they brought to it i think it might have been you connor saying to me um after that gig, just like, yeah, we need to, we need to learn from that. And I think we, we did apply it then going forward. There was such a, I think there was such a deflated atmosphere going into the gig, um, because of how energetic and infectious their performances were. Um, so yeah, big time. And I, I remember the senior common room very, very well, but yeah, like they, 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 I think we, we, we'd seen some of the videos beforehand as well. And again, they just had fun with it. Um, we definitely still did a really great performance that night. But uh, throughout it, I think the group became closer because we were hosting them and, and looking after them for the weekend. But I think it was it was the weeks and months after that that we would definitely keep reflecting on 
how they were just distinctly, distinctly themselves, distinctly themselves, uh, and how we could maybe try and learn from that and, and, and do it our way. I think the um, the Bellow Bear gigs are possibly some of the favorite gate, my favorite gigs I've ever done. Oh, same. Yeah, they were great. Same. Those, just the location, it was just the right amount of people. It's like the most bizarre but somehow perfect venue of like <laughs> something, some combination between somebody's sitting room and like a nineties bar in a basement. Yeah. And it was like, also, I think it was just at this point in Trinitones where we had like a group of people who would always come to gigs, like just yeah. lively. And we kind of, we would, it wouldn't be a huge degree of separation with everybody. So like just when the yeah. gig would end, like the party would begin and it was just. Yeah. Fun. That's a great point. But yeah, geez, they were so sweaty. I, they're very sweaty. Yeah. <laughs> there's there's shirts that are still sweaty from that gig. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they were on such a good vibe, like the whole time they were there, and um, they 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 lifted our spirits certainly, and we took yeah we as I said we didn't know what to expect from their visits, like we didn't know whether we were gonna be hanging out with them a bit and then doing the gig or but we just hung we were hanging out with them all the time. That that that, that was it and. Yeah, and we really a lot of really clicked with them. Yeah, a lot of friendships have have come from that. Uh, uh, no more than a, none more, no more greater than a Ronald. Um, and and Neil, was it was that when you when you thought we need to do this? When when was like the light bulb moment that why can't we do something like this? I I went over to see them in London, uh, for the last. Their end, the end of their tour, just again, it just speaks to like how how, how well we all got on with them. Mm. Uh, and on the way back, I think I messaged, I think I messaged you and I, Matt and Sam, come in and correct me. I think I messaged you guys and I got a sort of like hesitant response. <laughs> Probably. And yeah. Then, <laughs> and then I went and just did it. I, I, I remember seeing the message and just thinking, "This is another one of Neil's mad schemes here. Um, <laughs> this isn't. This isn't gonna. This is. We'll wait until tomorrow morning. We'll see how we feel about it, and then you know we'll go from there." Mm. <laughs> I I don't know if it was a message, but I remember Neil. We we had a. I think there was a launch for Inside Trinity, or there was something to do with the Inside Trinity documentary in in the Hamilton, in the yeah. in the global. What's the global? Is it the global room? Yeah, and that's when you you came up to me. I think I missed. I think you sang a song. I missed the song, but I came in afterwards, and and you came up to me and said, "We're going to Australia." I'm pretty sure that's the well. Song. I, I I did like I put my hand. I know I did it without permission, which I shouldn't have done. But I just went, and we had to basically we went through a travel agency because I was just like, yeah. I couldn't even think about organizing that many flights. Yeah. But I went, I went all out as well because I, I just went and put a deposit on nineteen flights to Australia. Did you? Which yeah, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't yeah. know that. I didn't know that. Yeah, and and Ma- I remember Maffin like completely, understandably, very pissed off because it was like it was mm. the majority of what was in our account. It was like three grand. Mm. It wasn't a whole, but it was still it was like a huge risk. Like that was like a couple of corporate gigs worth of money. Uh, yeah. And we still had about 30 odd grand. I think what was worse as well, I had done a very rough budget and then came in and Matt was like, Neil, like that's just not enough money. Uh, you haven't thought this, you haven't thought this through. We also weren't, we weren't making nearly as much back then as well. No. 
Well, that's that's it, right? But I think I remember talking through some of this stuff with Zach and Andy later on. And when we try to budget, um, I mean, realistically, a, a, a tour of this nature, if you're a professional outfit, would have cost a lot more than what we actually ended up covering, oh, of course, yeah. right? Um, so we did it kind of on a shoestring in a lot of ways. Um, Definitely. So I think that's also worth noting that, yes, it was a very expensive um, thing to go and organize, but we didn't. Um, we managed in the end to get accommodation in two cities for free. Yep. Oh, yeah. We got a, Largely um, thanks to yourself, Ah, sure, look. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it is what it is. It, I, I would just say we we, we did it on the cheap. <laughs> we did. Oh, but, like, I think the group always does. And I think it's, you're, you're yeah, yeah. Right. it's completely unrealistic for the group to do it otherwise. Mm. But, yeah, it was, well, I think what was good was that it was just, it was terrible terrible decision by neil because it was completely unfair on the group but in the fact that it worked out it was great because the band-aid was just ripped off and mm. uh it was sort of again i i do regret it because i think it was just completely not a, a sound thing to do to a group of people but um it worked out and i think it there were really really tough days in that whole fundraising process but um it did bring us together and it, I think it made, because it was such a getting, getting the group together and as Fionn said, that like common purpose. Um, I think it, it, it ended up making the result of it that bit sweeter. Mm. It's, it just felt like all the hard work we'd put in was worth it. Yeah. And so yeah. began, so began, uh, was it a four, how much, how long was the fundraising process? I think I remember it finished in February. So how much time do we give ourselves? Like it was multifaceted. So like we we actually we were doing really well with corporate gigs, and um, and I was actually quite that's right. That we, we had like Christmas ones and like yeah. we I think was that the one we did in Boodles, like yeah, we had a few yeah. really decent corporate gigs which are paid quite well. Yeah. So we were already getting ahead, you know. And we'd 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 we had like we were at the point like the fees we were pulling in then were the same. I'm sure it's slightly changed now, but it was pretty much the same as what the current group gets, uh, certainly maybe as a baseline. Um, but I think my expectation was that they would just keep flowing because we had a good relationship with Susie. And then it just became more and more realistic, likely that we were going to be about 20 grand short um, or close to 20 grand short. So, um, and we, the, the other thing is like other colleges, when they do this, they get given uh, huge amounts of money from colleges, like all the American college academic groups are just funded by the college and they don't have to do any of this. Yeah. They get it from alumni and stuff, but Trinity just doesn't have that. However, um, people like Matt and Fionn and people who knew the college infrastructure uh, rallied together. And we, we luckily got uh, our first, first proper amount of funding from the college. Yep. Uh, which really assisted. Uh, so we're very, very grateful for that. But yeah. Yeah, I think actually one thing that's worth noting is that we did a, some Christmas, we did like Christmas uh, carols in the senior common room separately to um, separately to the gig with the Tiger Tones there. And there was a couple of like supporters of ours who were, who were there who, who also advised us um, that it was a realistic thing that we could apply for. Um, you know that it wasn't like an outlandish ask um yeah because i think that one of the things that we were up against was our own self-doubt maybe and yeah. um 
uh, yeah, I think that that was actually quite helpful. So we did apply for a couple of grants from the college, and I think we got both of them. Um, Certainly got one. And then obviously, yeah. But then we then obviously we did um, a whole other rake of fundraising as well. Yeah. Yeah. And busking and yeah. Yeah, Andy. Mm. Andy, I was going to bring in like uh, yeah, Matt. You can come in or or Andy or Connor. Like, let's talk about the how much work we had to put into mainly getting out and busking about four or five times a week i, I remember mm. it was like that for a, a good while a good chunk of it and certainly towards the end i'd say we must have paid for like maybe two or three flights to earth just from busking itself i remember the one we did like the mo like the one where we made a lot of money was when we just went to busk like outside of france ireland rugby game yeah. i think near the Aviva. oh yeah i think we made something like 500 euro that day it was absolutely ridiculous oh it was more than that it was about 800 700 800 euro we made yeah. That day. yeah and we went we'd we'd it, it was again it was the beginning of some of the well we'd done the trinity ball videos before but it was the beginning of those sort of like viral quote unquote viral but like all those love and dublin videos that would go viral like we sang rag and road and love and dublin went and there was like a couple hundred thousand views in the video so it it, de it was definitely like as as matt said there it was like it was sort of like lots of things came together at the same sort of time they they were the good days though i my one of my prevailing yeah, they were is you know working whatever nine to five in in my first real job and um and i i worked at that essentially at the harcourt lewis stop so i mean i was, was pretty lucky that way i could hop on the uh the the lewis i'd get down to grafton street meet the lads there and we busk for lunchtime and i don't <laughs> know maybe i'd grab a sandwich on the way back more than likely i'd just skip lunch because by the time you've been on the lewis yeah. and you need enough time to busk to gather a crowd and then extract money yeah. from the crowd like so um oh yeah i remember going down and we we'd raise on a good day 10 euro per head and all i could yeah. think of was like can i just give the lads 10 euro and i'll get some lunch <laughs> <laughs> but, I couldn't unless like like you know i'd have to what i actually have to do is give the lads 50 quid because without me there wouldn't be a 10 or one or, or whatever it yeah, is on that yeah, day yeah. like so yeah it it was worth it in the end, but you never knew which day was going to be a good day or a yeah, terrible day. Well, that's it, and there right? was actually the, the, the great example actually I have of that is when we did that France game, we were like, lads, we've hit the jackpot. This is our market. Mm. And there was two more Six Nations games. There was one we more. We did them again. There was one oh, more. Was there one more? Just one more. We did the other one and it wasn't as successful. Mm. We thought the Welsh, okay. we thought the Welsh, we thought we'd have more luck, even more luck with Welsh people because they love singing, but not, it wasn't yeah, but we also did a. Do you not remember we did like a, a Leinster game and it was absolutely horrific. Oh, so oh yeah, we made. It was one of the most embarrassing so experiences of my life. <laughs> we just got on this rugby train and we thought, oh, this is it. This is, we're going to make all our money outside yeah. rugby matches. It was just the French people were so friendly. Yeah. But there, there have been so many times I've been really embarrassed to be in the group, and that was just absolute top. <laughs> <laughs> that was definitely the worst for me. Oh, just like lads on tour mocking us. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> but then, oh, there were definitely high points. I think the the fact that, like we, Andy, actually that summer, you ended up stepping up because I was away again. That summer. Uh, Connor and Matt were definitely around as well. Had yeah. the most eclectic uh, mix of gigs. I don't know if you guys remember. We went out to like the Drumcondra Arts and Crafts Festival. 
and oh, I do we got paid that. in like oh, yeah. we got paid in trading cards of 1916 oh. rising heroes <laughs> andy andy i can see mine from where i'm sitting i've got james Connolly front and center <laughs> <laughs> We we got a uh, Reed's sponsored us to do it, so we got discounts off the books and T-shirts for doing it. Oh, good. oh yeah, oh, I do remember that. But we were doing all these kind of bizarre gigs uh, that summer. We also we also did a good few weddings. To be fair, yeah, that's there right. There were yeah, there was a lot. Of- I think we we did my favorite wedding that year was when we did it for the guy that was connected to the um, Gingerman in some way. It was out, oh, out yeah. of like, their house in a marquee. Oh, that was, it was brilliant. Just, it was just. It was just like someone's gaff, that and we were literally brilliant. just like standing around their kitchen, and it was just. But this isn't like Carol's Cross or Knock Lion yeah. or somewhere. Yeah, that was it. Yeah, and it just—they were yeah. so friendly to us and everything, and they—they they just pretty much invited us to stick around after and everything. Like it was just—they so absolutely nice. loved us. They were all singing in with us. Yeah, there was an old fella in the corner who I think maybe got us to sing an extra verse of "Can't Take My Eyes Off of You" just because like he got up and started singing it after like. Yeah. The, finish yeah. it it was so fun. i think that was one of the big that i remember that gig so well i think that was one of the big performance turning because it was like we'd done so yes. much performance yeah. which, which definitely helped getting towards australia as a group and stuff but the, the busking as connor said it was just so hard and so mm. energy sapping and then that gig i remember like people as you said man like people were like jumping up on the island and i really felt like we had that energy it was our own energy, but we had the same level of energy that, that the Tiger Toads had. And I was like, wow, like we've done it. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose there yeah, there, there must have been a moment where we would have the new gener this new era of lads, this new group would have really clicked and we were, and we just got through it and we raised the money. Um I, I get uh, I'll come to maybe uh I'll come to Andy. Andy, because you and Ev, I guess, brand new in the group. And you're just like throwing right into the right into the deep end, all these gigs, and then and then we decide to go and do this mad fundraising campaign. Like, I guess maybe at the end of it, like were we? I I don't even know. Were we all just relieved? We didn't do like a big celebration even when we reached the fundraising target. I think. What? How did you? That's because I think the thing is there was never there was never really an end to the fundraising target. Yeah, we kept on going. Yeah, but it was also just some (laughs) random Tuesday. It was like, oh yeah, the um the flights are covered, and it was like, oh wait, this is this is happening. And I know Mm -hmm. Sam didn't believe we were going until he was actually in Dubai. No. No, not until he was in Sydney. He kept (laughs) on saying it. I was like, Sam, at this point, you're just a broken record. But yeah, Andy, Andy, what did how sum up your first, I'd say, five months of Trinitones? <laughs> yeah, um, I, one of my sort of abiding memories of that time was like be, being new to the group um, and singing, I suppose, intensively in a way that I'd never done before um, and coming into a group with like a real high standard of musicianship. <clears throat> and I always had actually in those few months like, real like imposter syndrome i was always waiting for the the tap on the shoulder from neil to say listen thanks <laughs> thank you for your service you know uh and it was real like yeah learning on the job kind of thing learning how to perform learning how to sight read even properly uh learning how to kind of blend in a choir when you're so exposed and often in those busks i'd be the only t2 in there and like yeah, you were uh, always there andy you were there for every busk i remember yeah, I, ju- I think that that kind of 
was the making probably not only of me but of that kind of new era as you say like mm-hmm. all of us were kind of thrown in the deep end in terms of volume of gigs and like getting up to speed um and that yeah that, that's that's my memories of it yeah i think another point of that as well though was the v concert fifth anniversary concert yeah. all the groups coming back which is obviously sort of why so we're that was what, like here. april may that's where I yeah i know we're sort of like jumping forward and back here but like that was a point where we really proved that as you're saying andy that, that this group means business and mm. um, and i think really showed the maturity of the group that year um because obviously we we're putting ourselves along with our very very competent singing groups and stuff like that mm. um, yeah so yeah we can come to that now because yeah we've 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 managed to raise the money against all the odds we managed to raise a lot of money for going to australia thanks to lots of people family friends and the cat i don't know um like I, we we somehow managed to get over the line i remember just maybe maybe two weeks out from the end we still had a lot of money to ra- raise and mm. we got we, we stumbled over the finish line and i think we were all just very relieved and yeah as people have said like i still didn't believe we were going um but yeah um it was it, it yeah it was it was maybe a bit anticlimactic because like there was still a lot of work to do a lot of organizing to do i guess um because uh, we didn't go to australia until that september so we'll take a break from australia and we'll come back to that and go to v because we're here to reflect on 10 years of trinitones in the build-up to the 10th anniversary concert in the sugar club on april 16th where you can tickets are on sale now go on to the sugar uh and uh, we'd love to see you there but it's five years on from when we had our fifth anniversary concert which was also in a bellow bar where we had the clash of the tones and uh that was a great night first thing i think about was when like neil uh, like so detailed about everything including we even had a program i think it's the only time we've ever had a program for a concert um where uh i don't even remember what was in the program i just remember at the end we were acknowledging the fact that connor in his final year was obviously leaving but also leaving as the longest ever serving trinitone and we had like a an homage to connor or like an in memoriam oh, yeah. thing at the back of the program. <laughs> that was quite They're really quite tasteless, like <laughs> <laughs> like an RIP kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah sure. I'll one of those somewhere. I'll have to frame it. Oh, but yeah, but I guess Connor, we could come to you for that gig because you were you were a busy man that night because you had to sing every. Yeah. probably the only yeah, person. I, I guess I was I was up song. on stage the whole night. Yeah, yeah. you were. <laughs> I d- did we actually? That reminds me. I think we tried to choose an iconic outfit from every generation. And yeah, I was yeah, on stage yeah. in beige chinos and blue shirts where this <laughs> podcast and the whole thing started. For the whole um, night. For the whole night, yeah. 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 I hope we're doing that. I hope we're doing that this time. Ah, yeah, we'll do something. Well, I don't know. I feel like the last six generations have all worn the same outfit. Yeah, so it wouldn't yeah. be quite as striking, but you know, I'd, like my purple, I'd like my purple tie back. I hated it. Maybe we can do the t-shirts. I think the the newer gens will definitely be be able to see them by how well theirs fits because it was all tailored. 
I think for clarity for the hypothetical listener, you should explain how it worked. Yeah, so, well, the first thing is that you have to make sure you get as many lads to come back, especially from the earlier generations. And the format of the concert, I believe, was we would start with Gen 1. It, it actually will be different because we have 11 generations of Trinitons now, so we, we don't have to fill in as many gaps. Um, but yeah, you had Gen 1 sing a couple of songs, then the current group would come on. Gen 2 would come on for a couple of songs, current group again, and that's how it kind of worked for the whole night. And then we all come together for Dirtbag at the end and Triangle. Mm. Um, and it was great. It was a great it was a great way to do it. And it was great to see so many lads come back. Lots of people I'd never met. Uh, the same could be said for... Uh, I'll be speaking on behalf of uh, certainly all the Gen 6 boys and a lot of the Gen 5 gang. Um, and uh, it was great to see yeah, everyone, everyone come together. Paddy and Lindsay were there and it was... It was really, really nice, really nice uh, atmosphere. But even guys who I I remember, like Tom, like even guys who might have been only been in the group for one year, like Tom Mara was there. Like, mm. like it just shows kind of how I guess how, how much of an impact the group has on on our lives. And when something like this comes around, like a reunion like that, we had a we had a nice time in Connor's uh, parents' house uh, the night before, I think, as well. Mm. Yeah, because I hung around for another four months after this, but in some sense, it it was the, the beginning of a very drawn out leaving for me because yeah. it was the last term <laughs> gig. Yeah. So yeah, I remember after after that that many years. Actually, my mom was probably the one who who pushed it the most. She was really keen on on getting everyone around to the house for dinner. I, I'd forgotten that that was a real nice that was a real nice moment. Yeah. Andy, we can maybe touch on the alumni gig in London. Yeah, I, I think for me, like probably, I know Neil likes ranking things these this way, but like probably the top five greatest Trinitons uh, gigs we did. You're stealing uh, my thing, Andy. <laughs> sorry to steal your thunder, Neil. Yeah, but that that I think Connor maybe is a good person to come in here because I think after that concert, you, you saying to me, Connor, that was probably as good as it as good as it had gotten uh, in terms of Trinitones. Yeah, it was it was unexpectedly good, I would say, as well. I And I, I actually, I guess I knew people. Sorry, Fionn? Just, it's just a shame. I, I didn't get to go to that because there's only A spaces available, but the fact that they haven't done it again mm. is a I shame, know. I think. Absolutely. That was one of those ones where it was really nice to be um, working because it was just, it was a weekend, I think. So, it was meant no odds to me but for people who were taking exams like this just wasn't uh, feasible for for some people mm. um yeah yeah so there was probably only eight spaces because they'd only agreed to a certain level of costs and, and they paid us and flew us over and there was and there was also there was capacity i think we even offered yeah. to pay uh to, to to fly over more okay um, and there was capacity within the venue so they're like You're, it's either this or nothing okay um, yeah sure we had dinner like, we got to you yeah. know got to basically be at the ball and then have the concert i I think the thing that made the concert like the performance was really good but the crowd were i think unexpectedly or to me unexpectedly maybe i'm uh, pessimistic mm. really into it like extremely into it and i think it was just well i think right mm -hmm. not not having been there i can't be sure but like i know that like the 
Trinity, Trinity like London Association does do like a dinner every year or a couple of dinners every year. But what was different about this was, well, again, not having been there, um, was that it was like billed as a bowl and that meant that young people actually went as yeah, opposed to like... they actually, old. they grouped together. So it was, it was a lot of uh, people living in London just getting together as a group of pals and buying a table together. Paddy Barrett was there as well. He did, yeah. He came along and and, and supported the crew. Did we do Dirtbag? We did, yeah. He sang it. Mm-hmm. It was a fantastic performance of Dirtbag mm. by, by Paddy. Right. Let's get into Australia. Just before we go into the trip, there's one thing that I, I think really illustrates this idea of like ramping up every year. Like we talked a lot about the last... Uh, in the last podcast about going to electric picnic for the first time i was just thinking that connor yeah yeah and and so like like we said then we've never missed a year of electric picnic so this year round electric picnic happened we were flying on the monday of electric picnic and we were performing there and well i i never really was into festivals electric picnic was the first one i I, i'd ever been to and i was well known for spending most of the time listening to podcasts in in my tent but I think most of the group were similar to me in this, in that we felt like we'd kind of we'd done electro picnic. This was not the biggest thing that were was happening. Yeah. And we drove down um to to sing at our two gigs and we drove back. We didn't make use of the of the free camping or anything like that. Yeah. We just went, did our gigs, did a walk around and then went home. Yeah. No, it's it's a good point. Was, I know a lot of people did, especially the younger I Yeah. A lot of organization went into the trip. I remember, like, obviously with yourself, Neil, but I remember, uh, like, a team of people was assembled to undertake this. Like, you had, I think it was, I, I correct me if I'm wrong, I think you had Andy, Matt, Connor, Zach, and Fionn. Had, did... I don't know if I could take much credit now. I might have had some peripheral organizational okay. uh, responsibilities, but no, I definitely wasn't part of the corn. <laughs> Well, Andy, and I remember Andy, yourself, uh, Zach, and Fionn worked together a lot on the yeah. logistics, or like, I guess, the renting of the car, renting of the vans and stuff, and um, they were the core crew, yeah. Organizing maybe certain events or what we'd be planning on doing, the itinerary and stuff like that. When we set about doing it, we did a good bit of it in advance, and then throughout the year. But then I was heading on J1 and it just didn't really make sense. And then we had gigs and Fionn, Zach and Andy put their hands up and they, they really sort of powered. And obviously Fionn was from Australia, so he had a lot of contacts that he could help us with yeah. and stuff. But yeah, they really, they did uh, a serious graft uh, over the summer. Yeah. Andy, any any anything to add to that or Fionn? Well, I just, just quickly, I suppose... Um... Yeah, something that we kind of missed before was that there was the, in January that year, there was like an Australia Day lunch Mm. uh, with the Irish Australia Chamber of Commerce, um, which Tones did, uh, performed a couple of songs for a small fee. And that kind of, I think for me anyway, like even though I I couldn't make the gig, um, what was good about that as kind of, it it kind of, it provided a bit of shape uh, to how, how, I think some of our planning was going to work where it was like, you know, we would call in a few favors, I suppose. Um, so the fact that my dad had been at um, a particular college at Sydney uni when he was a student 
and that the same college that Tom Meyer had also stayed at when he was a student at Sydney Uni uh, meant that they kind of were pretty sweet on us coming to stay and gave us um, free accommodation for what I guess we were in Sydney for five or six days. Mm. Um, so that that was definitely very helpful. Um, and then obviously we had some accommodation between um, uh, Trinity College Melbourne and my parents' house and a couple of the houses of various lads who were in the Tiger Towns. So, I mean, it just kind of meant that things were kind of a bit more sorted for us and we just had to kind of plan around everything else, like how to get from Sydney to Melbourne and how, where, what were we going to do on the way and those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fair point. Um, and yeah, so I guess we can... Also, I remember before, like we touched on electric picnic, we had like a, we had a get together in a Dunmore East before going, um, where we were we were rehearsing. We were rehearsing. We did a couple of gigs, but we were rehearsing for the tour. And and uh, I suppose we can say now that we had the current group going. Obviously, those that could go, and then we had, we were uh, we invited uh, Daz, Rob, and Fergus. Uh, to come along as well and mark and ben and mark jesus yeah, yeah. so no, no no it was it was a um we opened five slots uh up to the alumni and it was just sort of a first come first serve um and yeah dumbarees was just sort of a pre-prep to get them learning the songs in advance of the tour and some of them came and sang electric picnic as well yeah and that, that way they could get to know the new lads who were going to be going on the trip as well yeah, exactly. um, so we set off, yeah, as we said, the the day after Electric Picnic, we set off on our travels to Sydney via Dubai. And uh, people can watch our vlog. We vlogged the trip from start to finish, more or less. Um, Will you link it in the show notes? I can, of course. I, wa- I was watching it yesterday. Like, I, I think I, I, I don't want to take credit for it but I, I remember that was something i really wanted to do and uh with the help of neil and more importantly barra who edited the whole thing we managed to make that happen and uh before we went on the before we went on the trip andy you can talk a bit about the goodie bag that everyone got this is kind of something we came up uh between the group of us who were kind of around the organization uh where you all of us going away got a t-shirt uh, we got a tote bag, mm. a Tucker bag, a book of music, which I think was Zach's idea. A really, really good idea. I still have mine. Mm. Um, a tie, a Trinity tie. Neil, you might remember that. Yeah. Um, um what else was in there? A bottle. There's, yeah. There's a water bottle. Um. Go on, Neil. Sorry. No, it's just I. I wanted everyone to have an itinerary, which was the big thing, and then it course, sort of yeah. from there, and we had a bit of money for. For, for March and people always liked March and then um, we had the jumpers we got yeah. the jumpers a bit earlier in the year but we all had our lovely uh, we had the jumpers and then we had, we had the t-shirts as well mm. yeah that was nice it was it was sort of it sort of started it off on a, on a friendly and nice note giving, yeah. giving everyone a gift before they hop in the plane mm. we had the Trinitones the t-shirts that year were the Vegemite logo with Trinitones mm. very tasteful um and then yeah, we we headed off um, and arrived in Sydney, and let's just say that the trip didn't start out too well for poor Neil. Oh geez, yeah. Well, actually, I think it actually did. I ended up getting sick, uh, but 
except for the fact that uh, I missed the first day. But then I slept for 12 hours when, because I was sick. So then the next day, all my jet lag was gone. So just to clarify what a feat that is though neil is that the accommodation we we were in was mattresses all, all nine, 18 of us in a room so uh, <laughs> really you know you, you know you you uh you did pretty well that's well i was i was i wasn't feeling too hot but yeah um it, ironically uh when i woke up the next day i was feeling a lot better because i wasn't i wasn't too bad i just picked up some sort of book in the paint um but also all my jet lag was gone so I remember arriving, obviously I came late and Yeah, you I, came from Japan. Um no from from the States. Sorry. Yeah. But there was that was that was also a fun thing of it because we had you, we had Rob and Ferg fly across. We had all of the different people flying from different corners to be there. Yeah. Like I and I had come from California, so then I got there and no explanation whatsoever. I was just kinda of given instructions on how to find the place. And then a few hours later, I had been staying with my uncle for the night. I can't remember why, but then went, got to the place, came in, and it's just this big room with obviously all the mattresses and Neil in like the, the absolute center, just full delirium, just like shaking, sitting up oh. in his bed, like out of it. And I'm like, no explanation. Nobody had warned me this was what I was going to ah. see. It was it was horrible, and then mm. did Carl come in and explain the the whole situation? Maybe, um, but yeah, Neil couldn't speak. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I was like, went over trying to wake him up and stuff, and he was just like shaking in his sleep, and mm. ooh, okay. yeah, it was horrible. It was really, really not nice to come. <laughs> poor, poor old Ben thought he was going on a holiday away from the hospital and had a handful of medical cases on that trip. Mm. Mm. <laughs> we'll leave that there. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Don't worry. That setup we had, and this was in uh, the boys' college, the boys' residence, residential college of University of Sydney, St Paul's College, and we, yeah, we took over like their common room, and yeah, picture, yeah, you'll see in the vlog if you watch it, eighteen mattresses, and I thought it was brilliant. It was a great crack. Was there a piano or two in there as well? There was, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah that was cool. That was cool. Yeah. And. Uh, and then, like, I guess we can share our fa- our any stories we have of Sydney. We don't have to do it in any sort of chronological order. Um, speaking of St. Paul's, we were in exchange for staying in St. Paul's College. We were doing a gig in their chapel, and uh, let's just say they didn't really advertise it very well. So we had a, yeah. a nice small crowd at that gig. Um, but what I want to talk about is going into the dining hall before that gig, having a nice meal as we would, uh, as some of us would have had in, in Commons, very like Commons in Trinity. Um, would anyone like to tell the story about the parting glass? Well, I think I can jump in here because what happened was earlier in the day, Ben and I were in the courtyard of the college. And the provost or dean, the head of the co- college anyway, came up and was talking to us. And he said, I've seen a, I've seen a lovely video of you guys singing The Parting Glass. And, and Ben and I looked at each other. And Ben then goes, yeah, that, that was us, all right. Yeah. yeah. Obviously, it wasn't. 
and we were kind of talking to the guy for a bit. He said, that's one of my favorite songs. We'll have to hear you sing it. And we kind of left then. And then at dinner that night, he kind of gets up, I think, after the mains had been cleared. And he says, now we have a group here from Dublin tonight and none of us are leaving the hall until they sing the parting glass. <laughs> I forgot that. So Neil, Neil obviously, <laughs> I think got blindsided by that a bit, but luckily we had Robert on hand to, um, to just sing it for us. And we kind of got out of there unscathed. Yeah. Well, there was, there was also, well, it's not really what we're talking about, but Bennett also arranged the parting glass. And I thought then, geez, I've really been asleep for a week. But I have <laughs> learned Ben's avant-garde parting glass arrangement. I obviously learned it to a good enough degree to be like, yeah, we're going to sing it for the people who are hosting us for three days. And I was like, Andy, this, this new director, Andy, is fantastic. Um, but yeah, yeah. And uh, Rob, Rob's a fantastic parting glass singer, so... Mm. That you bring that up, Neil. That when you were sick, we had to do some rehearsals while you were sick, and uh, that's kind of where Andy's leadership kind of began to shine through. Because Andy, you would, as we said, you had taken the reins during the summer while some of us were away, and we had this rehearsal. I remember in the chapel, and we had a few. We had yourself, and then we had some past directors in. Nearly all the past directors in Ben, Rob, and Daz there as well. And uh, I don't know how how did you feel about. Did you feel you felt like you had to kind of take control here or not really it was, it was more it's just kind of a baptism of fire yeah especially because i didn't know the older guys too well uh, but ben again was very good that uh ben was very good that evening as well and kind of we, we were talking about doing we were rehearsing for a radio performance uh, yes. and a- abc was that abc, ABC yeah <laughs> uh and we, we were talking about doing like hotline bling i think on the radio or ain't no sunshine both of them were kind of like uh didn't sound great at the time maybe uh i think it was then and in fairness all three of the lads kind of backed me on it which was really helpful when i said i think we should do begging and that yeah. that's what we ended up doing on the the radio yeah mm. so that, the, all three of them in fairness were very good um that night yeah and then evan was fantastic on the radio then the next day if i can jump in here do you not remember who we had um when we did that gig, that uh performance on the radio we had three former roses of tralee yeah. join us uh oh, in, gosh, in the studio. yeah they just in the stood studio. in the studio yeah they as in like in the abc in sydney three former roses of tralee and various uh you know including Bri- Brianna Parkins, who now works for Virgin Media in Ireland. Um, uh, she, the, 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 there were three of them who just came and, you know, live streamed our, our uh, performance, uh, which is pretty cool. Yeah, Ev, that's probably the earliest you've had to sing Baggin' in the morning. Oh, God. And uh, literally, apart from the, the V gig, again, the, the only time it's gone right. I was shocked. I was like, what? yeah, you were straight off the plane from Japan. Would you? No, I no. wasn't. <laughs> I keep um, on screwing that up. <laughs> um, but no, the, yeah, it was like watching us do it in, in, in third person. It was, I couldn't believe how well it went. Um, I think it was we one were, we were, we, Yeah, we were very good. It was, yeah. 
our appearance on the ABC was actually really great because it meant that when we did a tour of the Sydney Opera House a couple of days later, um, oh, yeah. the uh, the guide Suan, Suan, she had already she already knew who we were, and she was absolutely obsessed with us. Um, yeah. And she allowed us to sing in the auditorium at the Sydney Opera House, which is a pretty oh, yeah. pretty cool thing to have mm. done. That's probably one of my favorite videos. Mm. Yeah, it's the a nice sound one. on that is great. Sound on that video. I just remember everyone else in the tour being, to me, unreasonably put out. <laughs> that yeah, we were being like, given why, so why, much why, attention. Why are these guys singing? Yeah, I mean, so like, cool. yeah, I agree. Unreasonable of them. Yeah, I agree. We we sound like that's one of the few times. Although I always back this, but I was like, we were so good that day, mm. and I'm like, they were lucky to get to listen to us at that time. I think that might be my favorite video, Trinitas yeah. video. Same. It's absolutely gorgeous. It's because the bases are just stacked. Yeah. yeah. We were so, <laughs> like, the sound was so dense on that tour. Imagine if we sang as a 20 voice choir more, up more regularly. It would just be thick with two cues. And it was at that night then we went, uh, we did the gig in the Australian club. Sorry, sorry. Before we get to that. More importantly, this is the beginning of Dan McManus becoming a international uh, fan, and so Dan, who is one of, is he Gen One? Is he Gen One? Yeah, Gen Dan's One, Gen, Gen Two, I think. He's Gen One. Gen One, Gen Two flew down to be with us, to quote Dan McManus, just to be with the boys, <laughs> of whom he only knew, I'd say, the the the, the old lads, um, but he. Uh, Continued to do so uh, in future tours as well. He's the type. He's yeah. the type of guy that brings an energy, though. That, like, I think everyone on the tour thought that he knew everyone else. Like, I remember yeah. being like, "Oh, he must have hung around with the lads over summer when I was." Uh, yeah. But like, yeah, he just kind of clicked in. It's good boys. He he did indeed. Yeah. So that yeah, the Australia club. Yeah, Dan. I don't even know. It, it, he, he sang with us. He sang with us, even if he didn't know some. He he acted like he he acted like he knew what he was doing. That's what Dan's very he good. He did. At. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he sang with us. I don't know what he sang though. But in the Australia club, what kind of uh, can we recall the kind of uh, people we encountered there? Yeah, I mean it's pretty stuffy, right? I think it's fair to say that, right? Even like don't get me wrong, Australia is much less stuffy than like England is, but. Um, this was like the stuffiest crowd you could possibly encounter in Australia, right? Mm. But it was, I mean, um, it seems like they have like evening musical performances there a good bit. And they kind of knew what we what we were like because they'd had like a similar or they'd had like an acapella group from the US go there a couple of times, I think. And they so they paid, uh, uh, they paid, paid us like a good rate to do a gig yeah, um, and gave us dinner. Um, and that was really useful because we then needed that money later on in the trip, yeah. which was um, useful. Mm. Yeah. But yeah, it was quite stuffy. It was an all men's club, right? So I think it's like not, obviously this is an all male club, <laughs> but nonetheless, it's uh, it was it's still not a kind of place we would necessarily have frequented, you know? No. Um, but uh, yeah, they were actually very kind to us. Um, my parents came up from Melbourne for the gig, which was pretty cool. Um, yeah. We, you know, we kind of played up to their kind of um, 
well played up to what they're used to i guess and made some made some jokes and whatever else um what else i mean wasn't there someone from home and away oh yeah who was the guy from home and away what's his name again? oh yeah the old lad daz and rob uh, daz and fergus were very excited to meet him yeah yeah there was an actor from home and away there who again i've never seen him in, well i have seen him in a way but it was years ago yeah home and um, away is very famous yeah. in ireland for people that it's a no, australian yeah, yeah. soap opera was, just for people that Al. don't know yeah uh, Oh. Alf, Alf, uh, Alf, yeah. Jeez, Alf guys, you know Chris Alf. Hemsworth was in Home and Away. Yeah, that's mad. <laughs> wow. Kyle Minogue was on Neighbours. What of it? Alf. Oh yeah. Al- Alf. I knew that one. What's his bloody name? Alf Stewart. Alf Stewart. Alf Stewart. Yeah. Well, he was there. Was there. Um, the lads are very excited. I think it's time to make a, a trip west in some high aces to the Blue Mountains. Yes. So, yeah, I was about to say. Yeah. So let's get on the road. Well, it's another it's another good example of us being recognised. We we had lots of amazing performances up there. Obviously, it was a beautiful place, but we also got recognised in the most rural town that uh, I like didn't expect. Like we don't even get recognised in Dublin at this time. Hmm. And we were, we walked into this cafe in the middle of nowhere, up a mountain. And yeah, so Blackheath, like, New South Wales. Yeah. And they were just like, oh my God, are you the Twin Tones? What? And to be fair, yeah. Yeah, she'd seen us on the radio, or oh, she heard us on the radio, and she heard our accents, oh, or yeah. Irish accents, and there were 18 guys, right? Yeah. Like, it must yeah. be. It's great to do all that radio. Um, but yeah. I think a lot of the the next the next component until we get to Melbourne was just sort of nice times. Yeah, the Blue Mountains are certainly people will see. Uh, uh, we we released a music video from that trip uh, where we sang performance of "I Shall Be Released" by Bob Dylan, and we did a music video in the Blue Mountains at sunrise, which was pretty. I think all of us will ne- will never forget that. I'd say uh, for a long time. Uh, uh, certainly sticks out uh, really beautiful really that was a great I, I don't know if uh, it was an obvious place to stop at but uh, it was a great shout just to break up that long long journey yeah we so we drove west to the Blue Mountains um, uh, very like naturally beautiful part of Australia um, we spent how many days there like three days something like that yeah we spent I think that that whole week was, was like between there and, and then the big long drive down, I think was the middle week. We pretty much did a week yeah. in Sydney, a, a week traveling and a week. Yeah, it's, people people mm-hmm. can come in here, but like we're talking a lot of, about a lot of happy times, but this trip was difficult as well. Like we were, we were spending three weeks on the road in like compact spaces a lot of the time. And there were times where disagreements were had and which is to be expected uh, when you're trying to manage 18, 19 lads. Um, so, which, which was a very, it was a really formative experience for the group going on such a, a mo- like such a big trip. Uh, there were definitely, go- there were inevitably going to be times where people fell out. And I think going to the Blue Mountains was a real, after being in the city like Sydney for so, some for six or seven days, it was a nice, really relaxed like let's just take a take a breather here 
and just enjoy yeah. each other's company. I think. I think that also it started a tradition of having those little retreat days on tours. Mm. Yeah. Like we did them on the later ones as well. And it was a point to find somewhere that would really suit to to both relax, but also to to kind of top up on the music we had been learning. Mm. Yeah. Like just three days away with like no reception, just the yeah. the uh the music. We'll come back to the I Shall Be Released because that that's an important song on the tour, uh, for many reasons. Um but I want to talk about the vans. So, Connor, you were driving one of the vans. You were driving, let's say, the better van. I had the honoured position of being one of two people ancient enough to get insurance to drive a van. Yeah. So, uh, to drive a rental van. So, there were only two of us, myself and Zach. And the drive was, obviously, the drive out to Blue Mountains, fine, about two hours or so. Uh, the drive down to south of Melbourne, um, Apollo Bay. Apollo Bay, exactly, was probably about twelve or fourteen hours. Yeah, we and broke it up. We stopped a few hours though. Exactly, fourteen hours of, of actual driving. When when it came to it, it took us very much I, the whole day. Mm-hmm. Can I fact check something? Because we've got we've got the public uh, discourse open. Speeding tickets were logged. I sat beside Connor in that car. Really? Connor, I, th- this is, Connor this didn't is speed at all. I Connor did not go above 110. Somehow. Oh, Zach definitely did. Zach, somehow <laughs> Zach speeded and arrived hours after. <laughs> well, to, to be fair, now, they did have battery issues in their yeah, car. Can, oh, yeah, 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 so yeah. Zach's car. So who was in Zach's car? Andy and Matt, you were in Zach's car. Talk to us about the lemon. Yeah, I, I wonder does Matt have a have a more vivid recollection of this? Yeah, Matt's Matt's very funny in the vlog when Zach is on the phone to Europe Car. I remember. Yeah, that, that's my memory of it. Is uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, Matt, give us a flavor. Basically, it was like it was like I was saying earlier was that we had to the battery it was it would start giving out to us after the Blue Mountains. It would only return really on about fifty percent of the time, and then. We were too worried to ever like turn the car off because we might not ever get it started again. So there was yeah. like we had to fill up the car while the car was still running, which like we weren't a hundred percent sure whether that was safe or not because it always says in the pumps not to do that. But it turned out it was okay in the end; didn't blow up or anything. And then like Zach just got on the phone with Europe Car, and it was like it was just like the most American I've ever seen him in my life. It was just like, I'm sorry, but you've, you've given us a lemon and like, just like would not, would not put up, put down the phone with them for like a good 45 minutes. Um, so yeah, we kept on the road anyway. I, Europe car just weren't, weren't really listening to us too much until like we literally pulled in at one point, turned off the car by accident. And then we're like stuck in the side of roads in like a petrol station in some town. And it wasn't until then where they like they actually just sent someone out with a new battery and replaced the entire battery. But like I remember been stuck there for about an hour and it was kind of cold. And it was just yeah, it was just messy. Like hmm. was... luckily, the next place we headed to was was a little bit of rest time. Yeah, we went to Apollo Bay, out of season. Let's say we were in Australia in September, so yeah. it's uh, it was it was cold enough. We had some some beautiful weather, but. Uh, it was as cold as it would be in Ireland at times. Um, and uh, oh yeah, I mean it's the Southern Ocean. Keep that in mind. Yeah, to be fair. yeah. 
I remember uh, Antarctica's yeah. yeah so <laughs> we far. we had lovely accommodation there and I remember uh, Rob and Daz actually went swimming and it's in the vlog it's very funny and uh, let's see we had some lovely dinners in those pubs down there they were great pubs I remember Andy you tried kangaroo you tried you yeah at a Chinese restaurant yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> And uh, we went on a day trip from Apollo Bay. We had a couple of yeah, a couple of rest days. We were rehearsing, but we uh, both the cars went on quite different journeys. One day, oh, yeah. Connors went. I would say the better. Uh, they they went and did a much more fun uh, uh, activity. We brought the high ace up a, a a rainforest path that was not recommended for for cars, but Ben in typical Ben fashion was like that would be grand. Hmm. and we saw some incredible wildlife yeah it's a short yeah. version of that that day koalas and go check out you see brazellas lorikeets various birds yeah amazing and then the rest of us decided to go to a brewery prickly moses prickly moses yeah they looked after us in there did a tasting session when the alcohol was rather strong i do remember that a lot of Christmas songs were sung in that car as well on the way back. Oh, yeah. Um, Jingle Bell Rock in particular, we sang about 10 times, yeah. I'd say, before we made it back to Apollo Bay. It was an awful day. The weather, the weather was terrible, I remember. The weather was shocking, but we were driving from the, from the brewery. The brewery had put up a lovely video of us singing as well. Yeah. Um, but we um, we were driving from there from the brewery to, uh, to, uh, to meet the other car at the 12 Apostles. Mm which is a geological formation off the coast. Um, it's really quite spectacular. Um, but on our way there, the car skidded and it was kind of a very, very... We nearly died. Because the weather was so bad. Yeah, we did nearly oh die. God. I think it's very safe to say that. Yeah, the, but I like I was at the back of the... I remember I was at the back of the van and, and it happened. Like Tokyo Drift like nearly went on our side, like on a dirt track. Um, I remember Evan was in the front of the car with Zach and Evan was warning Zach about a tractor coming in the, we're coming to some sort of junction and there was a tractor coming in to the left of us and, and Zach didn't see it. And, uh, we were fine though. And I remember as soon as we realized we were fine, Evan was just like, yeah. And then we just started singing again. <laughs> I don't remember that. I kind of have it in my head that we just all went silent for a good bit. No, but interesting. Some of us yeah. were some of us were pretty freaked out, and other others were. Yeah, I was celebrating the life. Yeah. Um, but uh, no, like we we have we survived the trip. All of us lived to tell the tale. Um, and then uh, and then we went up to sit up to Melbourne for the final leg of the trip. There was a um thing where we, we what happened and actually i was trying to remember what the origin of this was the other day and i don't know whether it was just like like tired madness or whether there was drink taken or what but there was there was this thing we used to sing when we were arriving to melbourne where we put just like <laughs> melbourne melbourne what you do with melbourne oh, man. How, did that, how did that come about i think i might have fallen asleep and then woken up and everybody was singing it and i was like a little bit worried about what happened like in my mind, it's Mark who started that, but I, I don't know if that's true. I think it just stemmed from like pure delirium. It sounds like something. Yeah. It sounds like something Carl would come up with. Yeah, yeah. I don't think Carl was in that. I just car. had my head as Matt. I don't know. Um, as Mark. Yeah. I think it just it just came about. We were making stupid noises because we'd been in the car for twelve hours. There was some. There was some real, real delirium going on there. Yeah. We kept. We were also doing what were yeah. What, 
what was the game like 20 questions but it was like it got really abstract like i think someone like had epistemology at one point like it was just pure pure concepts like <laughs> i think that was you matt had epistemology I, I did have a pistol. Model. I think you had the win the winter war. I think was another one. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh Johnny Gun. Johnny Gun. Johnny Gun. That's where it all came from. It was just us doing stupid stuff. We were very well looked after in Trinity College, Melbourne, by our friends from the Trinity Tiger Tones, who we reunited with. But yeah, so the lads were great. They they put us up. Lovely setup there we got like free food like the whole time like breakfast lunch and dinner i remember which is pretty insane um and and yeah we were exploring a lot we had we had a fair few things to do we had a couple of other radio performances which i remember on abc melbourne and then we had that news talk it was like the news talk of melbourne 3aw 3aw yeah where we sang somebody to love and we hadn't Oh, it was yeah. more of an older, it was more of the OGs that did that. I think we took it in turns. I think turns. that was actually the last morning. Yeah, we took it in turns doing the radio shows in Melbourne, uh, just because uh, we had to get up really early. And uh, yeah. we have realized that it was mostly going to be Gen 4 or 5, and we did Somebody to Love. And I love that. I, I watched, I've watched yeah. that video so many times. And, Same, it's, it's so good. And it was so great that we got to do so much radio stuff. We haven't, we yeah. haven't done any radio stuff in any other trips. No one will have us, hey. so... Let's get into the Athenaeum because we're going to try and uh, finish up soon. So the Athenaeum is where we were doing the second round of the Clash of the Tones in Melbourne. Maybe more renowned for like comedy. A lot of comedians would do gigs there. Beautiful theatre. Um, It's actually, believe it or not, it's where the first ever feature length motion picture was uh, um, played for the first time. Wow. Oh. Wow. It's beautiful. I think for people who don't know it, it's beautiful theater, very similar to like a a grand uh, traditional like birthday cake esque theater <laughs> with like three levels. Like the the Olympia. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, gorgeous, gorgeous theater. And I think for us, very much coming over, it was going to be. It, it was such a an amazing treat to just get to perform. But, mm. We got word halfway through the tour that the concert had sold out, which was like 700 tickets, um, which was pretty, again, just really made such a incredible impact to us, but made it so exciting to also need to, be, to be looking forward to. need to credit the, the Tiger Tones there, because like for ages, it was, I don't know, like 20 Five, 30% capacity just been, was not moving yeah. and then they put on a huge yeah. push within yeah. the university um, yeah. so yeah it that, basically became like it became the, the college night out for of, of the term and they it was absolutely amazing yeah like the gig god where did we start everything was building up to this because this was the big this was the biggest thing we were going to do on the tour we had done all these other events but we were rehearsing in preparation for this gig and and one thing i might say one thing i'll say is like we had a serious group of singers like that was an amazing the the group that we had on that trip like was just incredible like uh, to a man uh we had we had an amazing uh we had an amazing group big but it was a uh, it was incredible and 
what uh, we can share our own uh, memories i guess each uh, like individually but i think the first song we did was the kanye medley and i was watching the video thank god someone took videos of that it was the first song we sang and i just remember lost in the world at the beginning ev was singing and we had britney mics for that gig and oh my god we have never sounded as good honestly particularly at the beginning we're belting out that uh bonnie verb like introduction and the, the reverberations around the theater when we were doing that part of the song i'll never forget the goosebumps that i had and that really that really set the again i'll say set the tone but it really did set the tone for the rest of the gig uh which was it was it was it was still probably my favorite the best gig that we've ever done people individually can share their memories of that night uh i'll start with andy uh yeah i think of all the gigs i ever did with trinitones that was probably the one where on stage there was a certain uh electricity to it i suppose i remember we went out um and we knew it was about 750 750 people and we started with that kanye song and the first bit lost in the world went really well i remember we then pulled out we remember we were in an arc in the center of the stage or a triangle and then we went back to the horseshoe i remember looking at Dannon then who was beside me and kind of just we shared this look of like oh yeah this we're we're sounding great like this is gonna be unbelievable and then the rest of the concert was really just that kind of almost like giddiness on stage it was really really exciting and uh i don't know it felt like all the work we had done over the year had had really resulted in something special especially if you compare it to what we were talking about earlier how much more natural and relaxed on stage the tiger tones were when they'd been in dublin we really i think showed up uh in in melbourne and it felt like we had come almost like full circle uh yeah, and I think just that excitement on the stage really is, is my memory of it. Mm. Well, I was going to mention Natural Woman, actually, because for some reason that's the one that sticks in my mind. We had obviously, well, actually, it was something I was going to mention earlier in that when the Tiger Tones came to us, that was the end of their academic year. They'd been preparing in the same way as we were for the Athenaeum gig. They were super well prepared and had been on tour for weeks at that point or whatever. So we didn't know it at the time, but we were like essentially a 50% new group, uh, still figuring out what we were and where and, and, and how we fit together as a group. And I think we learned a lot of the right lessons, but we were probably a little bit hard on ourselves. And then this group and then the addition of some experienced people, I guess, coming back for the tour meant that it was a really well developed um set of songs to be honest with, with the group and it was a really like we had a huge list of songs for the tour and the Athenaeum gig was just the selection of the best ones and for whatever reason reason natural woman sticks in my head because it was one it was a gig where i feel like we got the gags really right and um, we weren't overindulging in our own um because it wasn't just our gig it was we it was shared between ourselves and the tiger tones and i i do love overindulgence when it's <laughs> when it's warranted but the natural woman just came across as really really funny really well executed one of the funny ones and then i feel like we mixed in funny and good quality singing really well in that gig yeah well a natural woman i feel particularly um 
was complemented by that kind of bigger group because the like the voicings in that song are just so rich and then when you had that extra bit of lower end oh i just remember just it's a few of the songs now really stood out and they just sounded so gorgeous and that was definitely one of them for me on that on that gig anything you want to add uh, any abiding memories from that night um really i don't know if i remember <laughs> it at all to be honest um, you summed it up very well there, uh, what you said, in addition to Connor's point, I think. Um, yeah, and I feel like like what Connor was saying, like it was it was just a the pinnacle of all the work we'd done. Like we'd seen what they could do. And even like when they were, um, when they came to visit us, whatever it was, nine months prior, ten months prior, I feel musically we were potentially as good if not better than them but it was that we held that musicality added in a few more things and then kind of learned from their energy um but also what what like i would really credit the guys with was we wouldn't have had that performance in us if we'd done it at the start of the tour so it was all the little bits of just lads staying behind on rehearsals and adding in little bits like i know you're on tour but it's and it's meant to be fun but like there was so much extra little commitments here and there that just meant and like say when we're in the blue mountains and stuff doing those extra sessions that just meant we had Mm -hmm. just had that edge that made that made the gig like it just took the pressure off um performance wise or tech on the technical side of the performance like at no point was I worried that someone was going to miss a note or miss a cue. Like musically, we we had it down. So you had the scope to explore in the performance and entertainment side. Like we were completely comfortable with all the gags, um, just completely confident in ourselves that we had the, the kind of space to explore. Yeah, I like everyone else has been saying about that gig. It was just really phenomenal having the crowd there and just technically it was all right together i remember for me personally it was a really emotional one because like i was moving away from dublin um the year after so it was going to be my last gig ever but it was really nice to go out in a high but um a couple of memories like that kind of stand out for me from it one was like at the time i don't know how it happened but i ended up doing like the female verse of teenage dirtbag and uh as you know in the trinitones we're always looking to innovate as a group and um one of the ways we did that is that we found a mop backstage um and so for that section we decided that we would improvise and use that mop as a as like kind of a wig so we just had like i think it was neil behind me just like got the mop and just like placed it on top of my head and it smelled like absolutely awful but (laughs) it was i think it really gave us gave the edge that performance needed to really get us across the line it went Um, down so well yeah it was fun and i think as a base there's always like a 50 percent chance that no noise is going to come out and mm-hmm. i think it just gave that extra boost to be able to do that section and we come to fion now we can come to you cool um yeah i mean i had a nice time it was a nice gig it was good to have my family there and all of that it was um yeah it was it was good um yeah it was a large crowd obviously and it was cool to be able to perform for a large crowd i guess we hadn't always had large crowds um i think for me do you know how we kind of 
got them to join in on our triangle um to varying degrees of success mm-hmm. um and then they in turn got asked to join in on the lion sleeps tonight and that was not exactly a fun experience for me because i feel like we didn't actually ever really rehearse that <sighs> and it was kind of yeah horrible oh. <laughs> I don't know. And that's my memory anyway. Fionn, that's your abiding memory of the gig. <laughs> well, it was the last song we did. Wow. <laughs> we did Can't yeah. Take My Eyes Off of You with them as well. Yeah. That's true. That was song good. we took from that they gave yeah, to us. Yeah, that was a lot better. Way. I thought the Lion Sleeps Tonight was not, not a good way to end that gig. But uh, everyone's been speaking very highly of Natural Woman, Fionn, and that was definitely... That's lovely to hear. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I Shall Be Released... Well, uh, yeah. actually... After the storm, I remember Ben's performance of After the Storm is very is pretty memorable. I give him credit. I think it's worth mentioning, like the the Kanye piece went well to start, but there was, as Andy said, there was this air of excitement, and I think when I came off, I was quite nervous actually. After that, I was like, God, we're really excited. We need to hold this together, and I think the big thing that for me that tied through all those performances was like the air of professionalism that the group showed throughout the gig hmm. because it was like it was really clear that we all felt it and the excitement was there and you looked at each other's eyes and you're like wow this is like epic but we managed to still throughout that hold it together and still put on like a, an amazing performance and i think that to me was, was yeah i think it was really professional really professional and i shall be released was an important song in that gen and uh neil you arranged that with Australia in mind, I, if I I would assume, just uh, yeah. the way everything panned out and uh, what the song kind of meant to the group. Uh, we did the video in the Blue Mountains, which people can watch on YouTube. And it was one of, uh, I think it was the last song we did by ourselves on that night. And uh, can you explain the deeper meaning behind doing that song, Neil? Yeah, it was just like, it was... Uh... It was about the the guys coming back and, and the sort of passing of the baton, metaphorical baton. And uh, the idea was that we'd... Uh, Surely, Neil, you as a conductor, it's a literal baton. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, we don't use batons in terms of... Uh, you know. <laughs> no, um, I know. I'm not teasing. <laughs> but the... Uh, yeah, it was... And the idea was that we'd sort of we we faded out and it isolated the the i think it was just six voices um at the end of the people yeah. who were or maybe seven it could have been even more isolated anyway the the people who were leaving the group at the very end to sing the final chorus and it was quite poignant mm. um but yeah it was a i think it was a, a, a apt song given the significance of the amount of work that had gone in and and we were also trying to uh showcase that it wasn't just one gen's work that had gotten this there it was it was the multitude of generations of mm. videos and, and arrangements and everything so we were trying to pay homage to that as well yeah i know yeah matt matt mentioned that it was it was emotional it was very emotional and we were at the point where like people would have left before but that it felt different uh, just the way we did that i guess at the gig but also really important people uh saying goodbye in that way was was very poignant and 
it just shows how much the group means to people uh not just now but certainly for for a lot of guys um which is why uh we're also excited to be doing this and to be getting together soon in a couple of weeks for the gig um but uh yeah like and that's that's australia pretty much like lots of we had we had a great time and traveling doing a trip like that with trinitones it's such a completely way different way to travel like we were on holidays but we did a lot of singing a lot of gigs and a very unique way to travel i would say um which can be said for all the trips which we will talk about in the next couple of weeks as well um but uh any final thoughts lads before we wrap up gen 6 australia I'll tell you one um, interesting story, actually, of something that happened happened after was that um, it's it's no secret that uh, after I was doing my master's over in Oxford, I joined another acapella group called Out of Blue. Yes. Um, you can all boo if you want. That's totally fine. <laughs> um, I went, so at one rehearsal, we ended up, they were just like, okay, we're going to do our signature song, uh, The Lion Sleeps Tonight and i was like oh cool i did this in australia and we did it we started all of the moves all of the arrangement everything was identical to what the trinity tiger tones did and um i inquired about it and asked about it and it turned out that the trinity tiger tones were founded by a member of out of the blue who was on exchange in the university of melbourne and taught them that song as their first song so we can wrap it up there um thanks a million to you all for joining me this evening uh especially uh to uh matt fion and connor this is connor's third stint on the pod and uh this is where we say goodbye to you and the and hopefully uh we'll have andy evan and neil you're more than welcome to join for the gen 7 part of next week's chat as you'll still be part of the discussion Thanks very much for having me for so long, Sam. I'm looking forward to hearing what the Trinitones caught up to via the podcast over the next few weeks. Yeah, that's the thing, I guess. Yeah, you'll you'll probably you'll probably learn some stuff uh along the way in in that sense. I didn't think about that. Um but uh no, and uh, as I said, uh tickets are on sale for the sixteenth of April and yeah, uh we talked about a bit about the fifth anniversary concert tonight. Well you can see for yourself what a gig like that is like uh, in the sugar club get your tickets on the sugarclub.com but for me and all the boys uh thank you for listening we will see you next week where we'll, we'll be discussing gen 7 and gen 8 but until then good night and we'll see you next time all being well first song we sang and i just remember lost in the world at the beginning ev was singing i think ev you had you were saving your voice all day i think you were struggling (laughs) vocally by that by that day and uh sorry sam you just uh, you dropped out for a second there and oh my god we have never sounded as good honestly um (laughs) 
not Mr. Particularly at the beginning. With Belton and, uh, <laughs> I think he's behind. He does a big delay. Yeah. Introduction. Yeah. And the, the reverberations around the theatre. <laughs> <laughs> I'll never forget the How would you ever shut and up? really... That really set the again. I say set the tone, but it really did set the tone for the rest of the gig. Uh, which was, it, was, it was it was still probably my favorite best gig that we've ever done. When did Everyone's, you realize? I don't know. I feel like people individually can share. Does he, does he not realize that nobody's interrupted him? Start with Young. Uh, Sam. You've just, um, oh, I don't know what I'm going to say. You just, uh, you dropped out for a, few, sorry, a good minute there and then came back and kept talking and good, and kept talking. So I think you need to hear all of that again. Wait, did I, did I cut out? Or no, you no. kept going and I think you couldn't hear our audio. So like, oh, yeah. you, you were going on about like the vibes and the reverberations in the building. We're just like, Sam, shut up. Yeah. <laughs> Right. You'll hear it in the you'll hear it in the recordings and stuff. Oh, so it's back oh, on top. Very funny. Right